Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 11 through 12, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 9 through 10, to which Percy Jackson and the rest of his gang has now 10 days to stop Gaia and her army from attacking. And while they're on their journey, they encounter a little hiccup, as I like to call it. Or in this case, a little shoe, as they meet the goddess Nike. Will this be a battle of success, unknown success, or will it just waste more time? Let's see, as we read chapter 11, Leo. The gold wings were overkill. Leo could dig the chariot and the two white horses. He was okay with Nike's glittering sleeveless dress. The Calypso totally rocked that style, but that wasn't irrelevant. And Nike's pile of braids of dark hair circled with a gilded laurel wreath. Her expression was wide-eyed and a little crazy, like she just had 20 espressos and ridden a roller coaster. But that didn't bother Leo. He couldn't even deal with the gold-tipped spear pointed at his chest. But those wings, they were polished gold right down to the last feather. Leo could admire the intricate workmanship, but it was too much, too bright, too flashy. If her wings had been solar panels, Nike would have produced enough energy to power Miami. Oh, lady, he said, could you fold your uh, flappers, please? You're giving me a sunburn. What? Nike's head jerked toward him like a startled chicken's. Oh, my brilliant plumage. Very well. I suppose you can't die in glory if you are blinded and burned. She talked in her wings. The temperature dropped to a normal 120 degrees summer afternoon. Leo glanced at his friends. Frank stood very still, sizing up the goddess. His backpack hadn't yet morphed into a bow and quiver, which was probably prudent. He couldn't have been too freaked out, because he'd avoided turning into a giant goldfish. Hazel was having trouble with Arian. The roan stallion nickered and bucked, avoiding eye contact with the white horses pulling Nike's chariot. As for Percy, he held his magic ballpoint pen like he was trying to decide whether to bust out some sword moves or autograph Nike's chariot. Nobody stepped forward to talk. Leo kind of missed having Piper and Annabeth with them. They were good at the whole talking thing. He decided somebody had better say something before they all died in glory. So, he pointed his index finger at Nike. I didn't get the briefing, and I'm pretty sure the information wasn't covered in Frank's pamphlet. Could you tell me what's going on here? Nike's wide-eyed stare unnerved him. Was Leo's nose on fire? That happened sometimes when he got stressed. Ha! We must have victory! The goddess shrieked. The contest must be decided! You have come here to determine the winner, yes? Frank cleared his throat. <clears throat> Are you Nike or Victoria? Ah! The goddess clutched the side of her head. Her horses reared, causing Arian to do the same. The goddess shuddered and split into two separate images, which reminded Leo, ridiculously, of when he used to lie on the floor in his apartment as a kid and play with the coiled doorstop on the baseboard. He would pull it back and let it fly. Sproink! The stopper would shudder back and forth so fast it looked like it was splitting between into two separate coils. That's what Nike looked like. A divine doorstop, splitting in two. On the left was the first version, glittery sleeveless dress, dark hair circled with laurels, golden wings folded behind her. On the right was a different version, 
Dressed for war in a Roman breastplate and greaves, short auburn hair peeked out from the rim of a tall helmet. Her wings were feathery white, her dress purple, and the shaft of her spear was fixed with a plate-sized Roman insignia, a golden SPQR and a laurel wreath. I am Nike, cried the image on the left. I am Victoria, cried the one on the right. For the first time, Leo understood the old saying his abuelo used to say use. Talking out of the side of your mouth, this goddess was literally saying two different things at once. She kept shuddering and splitting, making Leo dizzy. He was tempted to get out his tools and adjust the idol on her carburetor, but that vibrator would make her engine fly apart. I am the decider of victory, Nike screamed. Once I stood here at the corner of Zeus's temple, venerated by all. I oversaw the games of Olympia. Offerings from every city, state, were piled on my feet. Games are irrelevant, yelled Victoria. I am the goddess of success in battle. Roman generals worshipped me. Augustus himself erected my altar in the Senate House. Ah! Both voices screamed in agony. We must decide. We must have victory. Arian bucked so violently that Hazel had to slide off his back to avoid getting thrown. Before she could calm him down, the horse disappeared, leaving a vapor trail behind the ruins. Nike, Hazel said, stepping forward, slowly. You're confused, like all the gods. The Greeks and Romans are on the verge of war. It's causing your two aspects to clash. Oh, I know that! The goddess shook her spear, the tip rubber banding into two points. I cannot abide unresolved conflict. Who is stronger? Who is the winner? Lady, nobody's the winner, Leo said. If that war happens, everybody loses. No? Winner? Nike looked so shocked, Leo was pretty sure his nose must be on fire. There's always a winner. One winner. Everyone else is a loser. Otherwise, victory is meaningless. I suppose you want me to give certain certificates to all the contestants? Little plastic trophies to every single athlete? Or soldier for participation? Should we all light up and shake hands and tell each other good game? No. Victory must be real. It must be earned. That means it must be rare and difficult. Against steep odds and defeat must be the other possibility. The goddesses' two houses nipped at each other as of getting into the spirit. Uh, okay, Leo said. I can tell you you've got strong feelings about that. But the real war is against Gaia. He's right, Hazel said. Nike, you were Zeus's charioteer in the last war with the giants, weren't you? Of course! Then you know Gaia is the real enemy. We need your help to defeat her. The war isn't between the Greeks and Romans. Victoria roared. The Greeks must perish. Victory or death, Nike wailed. One side must prevail. Frank grunted. I get enough of this from my dad screaming in my head. Victoria glared down at him. A child of Mars, are you? A praetor of Rome? No true Roman would spare the Greeks. I cannot abide to be split and confused. I cannot think straight. Kill them! Win. Not happening, Frank said, though Leo noticed Zhang's right eye was twitching. Leo was struggling too. Nike was sending off waves of tension, setting his nerves on fire. 
He felt like he was crouched at the starting line, waiting for someone to yell, Go! He had the irrational desire to wrap his hands around Frank's neck, which was stupid since his hands wouldn't even fit around Frank's neck. Look, Miss Victory. Percy tried for a smile. We don't want to interrupt your crazy time. Maybe you can just finish this conversation with yourself and we'll come back later with uh, some bigger weapons and possibly some sedatives. The goddess brandished her spear. You will determine the matter once and for all. Today, now, you will decide the victor. Four of you? Excellent. We will have teams. Perhaps girls versus boys. Hazel said, Uh, no. Shirts versus skins. Definitely no, said Hazel. Greeks versus Romans. Nike cried. Yes, of course. Two and two. The last demigod standing wins. The others will die gloriously. A competitive edge pulsed through Leo's body. It took all of his effort to not reach into his tool belt, grab a mallet, and whop Hazel and Frank upside their heads. He realized how, Anab- how right Annabeth had been not to send anybody whose parents had natural rivalries. If Jason were here, he and Percy would probably already be on the ground, bashing each other's brains out. He forced his fists on clench. <sighs> Look, lady, we're not going to go all hunger games on each other. Isn't going to happen. But you will win a fabulous honor. Nike reached into a basket at her side and produced leaves, produced a wreath of thick green laurels. This crown of leaves could be yours. You can wear it on your head. Think of the glory. Leo's right, Frank said, though his eyes were fixed on the wreath. His expression was a little too greedy for Leo's taste. We don't fight each other. We fight for the giants. You should help us. Very well! The goddess raised the laurel wreath in one hand and her spear in the other. Percy and Leo exchanged looks. Uh, does that mean you'll join us? Percy asked. You'll help us find the giants? That will be part of the prize, Nike said. Whoever wins, I will consider you an ally. We will fight the giants together and I will bestow victory upon you. But there can only be one winner. The others must be defeated, killed, destroyed, utterly. So what will it be, demigods? Will you succeed in your quest or will you cling to your namby-bamby ideas of friendship and everybody wins participation awards? Percy uncapped his pen. Riptide grew into a celestial bronze sword. Leo was worried he might turn it on then. Nike's aura was that hard to resist. Instead, Percy pointed his blade at Nike. What if we fight you instead? Ha! Nike's eyes gleamed. If you refuse to fight each other, you shall be persuaded. Nike spread her golden wings. Four metal feathers fluttered down, two on either side of the chariot. The feathers twirled like gymnasts, growing larger, sprouting arms and legs until they touched the ground as four metallic, human-sized replicas of the goddess, each armed with a golden spear and a celestial bronze laurel wreath that looked suspiciously like a barbed wire frisbee. To the stadium, the goddess cried. You have five minutes to prepare, then blood shall be spilled. Leah was about to say, what if we refuse to go to the stadium? He got his answer before asking the question. Run! Nike bellowed. 
to the stadium with you or my Nikai will kill you where you stand. The metal ladies unhinged their jaws and blasted out a sound like a Super Bowl crowd mixed with feedback. They shook their spears and charged the demigods. It wasn't Leo's finest moment. Panic seized him and he took off. His only comfort was that his friends did too, and they weren't the cowardly type. The four metal women swept behind him in a loose semicircle, herding them to the northeast. All the tourists had vanished. Perhaps they'd fled to the air-conditioned comfort of the museum, or maybe Nike had somehow forced them to leave. The demigods ran, tripping over stones, leaping over crumbled walls, dodging around columns and informational placards. Behind them, Nike's chariot wheels rumbled after her horses whinnied. Every time Leo thought about slowing down, the metal lady screamed again. What had Nike called him? Nikai? Nikets? Filling Leo with terror. He hated being filled with terror. It was embarrassing. There, Frank sprinted towards a kind of trench between two earthen walls with a stone archway above. It reminded Leo of those tunnels that football teams run through when they enter the field. That's the entrance to the old Olympic Stadium. It's called the Crypt. Not a good name! Leo yelled. Why are we going here? Percy gasped. If that's where she wants us. The Niquette screamed again and all rational thought abandoned Leo. He ran for the tunnel. When they reached the arch, Hazel yelled, Hold it! They stumbled to a stop. Percy doubled over, wheezing. Leo had noticed that Percy seemed to get winded more easily these days. Winded more easily these days. Probably because of that nasty acid air he'd been forced to breathe in Tartarus. Frank peered back in the way they'd come. I don't see them anymore. They disappeared. Did they give up? Percy asked hopefully. Leo scanned the ruins. Nah, they just herded us where they wanted us. What were those things anyway? The Niquettes, I mean. Niquettes? Frank scratched his head. I think it was Nikai. Plural. Like, victory. Yes. Hazel looked deep in thought running her hand along the stone archway. In some legends, Nike had an army of little victories she could send all over the world to do her bidding. Like Santa's elves, Percy said. Except evil. And metal. And really loud. Hazel pressed her fingers against the arch, as of taking its pulse. Beyond the narrow tunnel, the earthen walls opened into a long field with gently rising slopes on either side, like seating for spectators. Leo guessed it would have been an open-air stadium back in the day, big enough to for dis- discus-throwing, javelin-catching, naked shot-put, or whatever else those crazy Greeks used to do with a bunch of leaves. Ghosts linger in this place, Hazel murmured. A lot of pain is embedded in these stones. Please tell me you have a plan, Leo said. Preferably one that doesn't involve embedding my pain in the stones. Hazel's eyes were stormy and distant, the way they'd been in the House of Hades, like, she was peering into a different layer of reality. This was the player's entrance. Nike said we have five minutes to prepare. Then she'll expect us to pass under this archway and begin the games. We won't be allowed to leave that field until three of us are dead. Percy leaned on his sword. I'm pretty sure death matches weren't an Olympic sport. Well, they are today, Hazel warned. But I might be able to give us an edge. When we pass through, I could raise some obstacles on the field, building hiding places to buy some time. Frank frowned. You mean on the, like, on the field of Mars? 
trenches, tunnels, that kind of thing? You can do that with the mist? I think so, Hazel said. Nike would probably like to see an obstacle course. I can play her expectations against her, but it would be more than that. I could use any subterranean getaway, even this arch, to access the labyrinth. I can raise part of the labyrinth to the surface. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Percy made a made out sign. Made a timeout sign. The labyrinth is bad. We discussed this. Hazel, he's right. Leah remembered all too well how she led him through the illusionary maze in the House of Hades. They'd almost died about every six feet. I mean, I know you're good with magic, but we have already got four screaming Nikets to worry about. You'll have to trust me, she said. We've only got a couple of minutes now. When we pass through the arch, I can at least manipulate the playing field to our advantage. Percy exhaled through his nose. Twice now I've been forced to fight in museums, once in Rome, and before that in the labyrinth. I hate playing games for people's amusement. We all do, Hazel said. But we have to put Nike off guard. We'll pretend to fight until we can neutralize those Nikets. <sighs> That's an awful name. Then we should subdue Nike, like Juno said. Makes sense, Frank agreed. You felt how powerful Nike was, trying to put us at each other's throats? If she's sending out those vibes to all the Greeks and Romans, there's no way we'll be able to prevent a war. We've got to get her under control. And how do we do that? Percy asked. Bonk her on the head and stuff her in a sack? Leo's mental gears started to sh turn. Actually, he said, you're not far off, Uncle. Leo brought some toys for all you good little demigods. And that's the end of chapter 11. Well, that was definitely a fascinating chapter. I think near the end of the chapter, we can see also a little bit of more focus on other characters, such as, you know, Hazel. And I think it's really surprising to see how Hazel has quickly adapted. You know, usually with the whole group, Annabeth is seen as one of the main leaders. But because we have seen someone else step up, it's going to be fascinating to see how, if, if they're going to put any unique spin in how they're going to lead this group and how Hazel's going to lead this group. It'll be very fascinating indeed. But yeah, that is the end of chapter 11. After the break, we'll read chapter 12 and come back for a Q&A session. So see you then. And we're back from the break, and now we're going to read chapter 12, Leo. Two minutes wasn't nearly enough time. Leo hoped he'd given everybody the right gadgets and adequately explained what all the buttons did. Otherwise, things would get ugly. While he was lecturing Frank and Percy on Archimedean mechanics, Hazel stared at the storm archway and muttered under her breath. Nothing seemed to change in the big grassy field beyond. But Leo was sure Hazel had some misdelicious tricks up her sleeve. He was just explaining to Frank how to avoid getting decapitated by his own Archimedes sphere when the sound of trumpets echoed through the stadium. Nike's chariot appeared on the field, the Nikets arrayed in front of her with their spears and laurels raised. Begin! The goddess bellowed. Percy and Leo sprinted toward the archway. Immediately, the field shimmered and became a, became a maze of brick walls and trenches. They ducked behind the nearest wall and ran to the left. Back at the archway, Frank yelled, 
Uh, die, Graca scum! A poorly aimed arrow sailed over Leo's head. More fishes! Nike yelled. Kill like you mean it! Leo glanced at Percy. Ready? Percy hefted a bronze grenade. I hope you labeled these right! He yelled. Die, Romans! And lobbed the grenade over the wall. Boom! Leo couldn't see the explosion, but the smell of buttery popcorn filled the air. Oh, no! Hazel yelled. Popcorn! Our fatal weakness! Frank shot another arrow over their heads. Leo and Percy scrambled to the left, ducking through a maze of walls that seemed to shift and turn on their own. Leo could still see open sky above him, but claustrophobia started to set in, making it hard for him to breathe. Somewhere behind them, Nike yelled, Try harder! That popcorn was not fatal! From the rumble of her chariot wheels, Leo guessed she was circling the perimeter of the field. Victory taking a victory lap. Another grenade exploded over Percy and Leo's head. They dove into a trench as the green starburst of Greek fire singed Leo's hair. Fortunately, Frank had aimed high enough that the blast only looked impressive. Better? Nike called out. But where is your aim? Don't you want the circlet of leaves? I wish the river was closer, Percy muttered. I want to drown her. Be patient, water boy. Don't call me water boy. Leo pointed across the field. The walls had shifted, revealing one of the Nikettes about 30 yards away, standing with her back to them. Hazel must be doing her thing, manipulating the maze to isolate their targets. I distract, Leo said. You attack. Ready? Percy nodded. Go. He dashed to the left as Leo pulled a ball-peen hammer from his tool belt and yelled, Hey, bronze butt! The Nikette turned as Leo threw. His hammer clanged harmlessly off the metal lady's chest, but she must have been annoyed. She marched toward him, raised her, but raising her barbed wire laurel wreath. Oops. Leo ducked as the metal circlet spun over his head. The wreath hit a wall before behind him, punching a hole straight through the bricks, then arched backward through the air like a boomerang. As the Nikette raised her hand to catch it, Percy emerged from the trench behind her and slashed with Riptide, cutting the Nikette in half at the waist. The metal wreaths shot past him and embedded in the marble column. Foul! The victory goddess cried. The wall shifted and Leo saw her barreling toward them in her chariot. You don't attack the Nikai unless you wish to die! A trench appeared in the goddess's path, causing her horses to balk. Leo and Percy ran for cover out of the corner of his eye, maybe 50 feet away. Leo saw Frank the grizzly bear jump from the top of a wall and flatten another Nikette. Two bronze buds down, two more to go. No! Nike screamed in outrage. No, no, no! Your lives are forfeit! Nikai, attack! Leo and Percy leaped behind a wall. They lay there for a second, trying to catch their breath. Leo had trouble getting his bearings, but he guessed that was part of Hazel's plan. She was causing the terrain to shift around them, opening new trenches, changing the slope of the land, throwing up new walls and columns. With luck, she would make it harder for the Nikettes to find them. Traveling just 20 feet away might take them several minutes. Still, Leo hated being disoriented. It reminded him of his, ha- reminded him of his helplessness in the House of Hades. The way Clidius had smothered him in darkness, snuffing out his fire, possessing his voice. It reminded him of Keon, plucking him off the deck of the Argo II with a gust of wind and shooting him halfway across the Mediterranean. 
It was bad enough being scrawny and weak. If Leo couldn't control his own senses, his own voice, his own body, I didn't leave him much to rely on. Hey, Percy said, if we don't make it out of this, shut up, man, we're gonna make it. If we don't, I want you to know, I feel bad about Calypso. I failed her. Leo stared at him, dumbfounded. You know about me and... The R of the second is a small ship. Percy grimaced. Word got around, I just... Well, when I was in Tartarus, I was reminded that I hadn't followed through on my promise to Calypso. I asked the gods to free her, and then I just assumed they would. With me getting amnesia and getting sent to Camp Jupiter and all, I didn't think about a club so much after that. No, I'm not making excuses. I should have made sure the gods kept their promise. Anyway, I'm glad you found her. You promised to find a way back to her, and I just wanted to say if we do survive all this, I'll do anything I can to help you. That's a promise I will keep. Leo was speechless. Here they were, hiding behind a wall in the middle of a magical war zone with grenades and grizzly bears and bronze butt nightcats to worry about. And Percy pulls this on him? Man, what's your problem? Leo grumbled. Percy blinked. So, I guess we're not cool? Of course we're not cool! You're as bad as Jason. I'm trying to resent you for being all perfect and hero and whatnot. And you go and stand up like a stand-up guy. How am I supposed to hate you if you apologize and promise to help and stuff? A smile tugged at the corner of Percy's mouth. Sorry about that. The ground rumbled as another grenade exploded, sending spirals of whipped cream into the sky. That's Hazel Signal, Leo said. They've taken down another Nyquette. P- Percy's peeked around the corner of the wall. Until this, until this moment, Leo hadn't realized how much he'd resented Percy. This dude had always intimidated him. Knowing Calypso had a, had a crush on Percy made the feeling ten times worse. But now, the knot of anger in his gut started to unravel. Leo just couldn't dislike the guy. Percy seemed sincere about being sorry and wanting to help. Besides, Leo finally had kind of confirmation that Percy Jackson was out of the picture with Calypso. The air was cleared. All Leo had to do was find his way back to Ajigia, and he would, assuming he survived the next ten days. One Nyquette left, Percy said. I wonder. Somewhere close by, Hazel cried out in pain. Instantly, Leo was on his feet. Dude, Wait. Percy called, but Leo plunged through the maze, his heart pounding. The walls fell away on either side. Leo found himself in an open stretch of field. Frank stood at the far end of the stadium, shooting flaming arrows at Nike's chariot as the goddess bellowed insults and tried to find a path to him across the shifting network of trenches. Hazel was closer, maybe 60 feet away. The fourth Nyquette had obviously sneaked up on her. Hazel was limping away from her attacker, her jeans ripped, her left leg bleeding, she parried the metal lady's spear with her huge cavalry sword, but she was about to be overpowered. All around her, the mist flickered like a dying strobe light. She was losing control of the magic maze. I'll help her, Percy said. You stick to the plan. Get Nike's chariot. But the plan was to eliminate all four Nikes first. So change the plan and then stick to it. That doesn't even make sense. But go, help her. Percy rushed to Hazel's defense. Leo darted towards Nike, yelling, Hey! I want a participation award! Gah! The goddess pulled the reins and turned her chariot in his direction. I will destroy you! Good! Leo yelled. Losing is way better than winning! What? Nike threw her mighty spear, but her aim was off with the rocking of the chariot. Her weapon skittered into the grass. 
Sadly, a new one appeared in her hands. She urged her horses to a full gallop. The trenches disappeared, leaving an open field perfect for running down small Latino demigods. Hey! Frank yelled from across the Dev Stadium. I want a participation award too! Everybody wins! He shot a well-aimed arrow, then landed on the back of Nike's chariot and began to burn. Nike ignored it. Her eyes were fixed on Leo. Percy? Leo's voice sounded like a hamster squeak. From his tool belt, he fished out an Archimedes sphere and set the concentric circles to arm the device. Percy was still sparring with the last metal lady. Leo couldn't wait. He threw the sphere in the chariot's path. It hit the ground and Barrow burrowed in, but he needed Percy to spring the trap. If Nike sensed any threat, she apparently didn't think much of it. She kept charging at Leo. The chariot was 20 feet away from the grenade. 15 feet. Percy! Leo yelled. Operation Water Balloon! Unfortunately, Percy got a little busy getting smacked around. The Nikette thumped him backward with the butt of a spear. She threw her wreath with such force and knocked Percy's sword from his grip. Percy stumbled. The metallic lady moved in for the kill. Leo howled. He knew the distance was too far. He knew that if he didn't jump out of the way now, Nike would run him over. But that didn't matter. His friends were about to be skewered. He thrust out his hand and shot a white-hot bolt of fire straight at the Nikette. It literally melted her face. The Nikette staggered, her spear still raised. Before she could regain her balance, Hazel thrust her spatha and impaled the metal lady through the chest. The Nikette crashed into the grass. Percy turned toward the victory goddess's chariot. Just as those white, huge white horses were about to turn Leo into roadkill, the carriage passed over Leo's sunken grenade, which exploded in a high-pressure geyser. Water blasted upward, flipping the chariot, horses, carriage, goddess, and all. Back in Houston, Leo used to live with his mom in an apartment right off the Gulf Freeway. He heard car crashes at least once a week. But this sound was worse. Celestial bronze clump, clump, crumpling, wood splintering, stallions screaming, and a goddess wailing in two distinct voices, both of them very surprised. Hazel collapsed. Percy caught her. Frank ran toward them from across the field. Leo was on his own as the goddess Nike disentangled herself from the wreckage and rose to face him. Her braided hairdo now resembled a stepped-on cow pie. A laurel wreath was stuck on her left ankle. Her horses got to their hooves and galloped away in panic, dragging the soaked, half-burning wreckage of the chariot behind them. You! Nike glared at Leo, her eyes hotter and brighter than her metal wings. You dare? Leo didn't feel very courageous, but he forced a smile. I know, right? I'm awesome. Do I win that leaf now? You will die. The goddess raised her spear. Hold that thought. Leo dug around in his tool belt. You haven't seen my best trick yet. I have a weapon guaranteed to win any competition. Nike hesitated. What weapon? What do you mean? My ultimate. Zapomatic. He pulled out a second Archimedes Sphere, the one he'd spent a whole 30 seconds modifying before they entered the stadium. How many Laurel rates have you got? Because I'm going to win them all. He fiddled with dials, hoping he'd done his calculations right. Leo had gotten better at making spheres, but they weren't still reliable. More like 20% reliable. It would have been nice to have Calypso's help weaving the celestial bronze filaments. She was an ace at weaving. Or Annabeth. She was no slouch. But Leo had done his best. Rewiring the sphere to carry out two completely different functions. Behold! Leo clicked the final dial. 
The sphere opened. One side elongated into a gun handle. The other side unfolded into a miniature radar dish made of celestial bronze mirrors. Nike frowned. What is that supposed to be? An Archimedes death ray, Leo said. I finally perfected it. Now give me all the prizes. Those things don't work, Nike yelled. They proved it on television. Besides, I am an immortal goddess. You can't destroy me. Watch closely, Leo said. Are you watching? Nike could have zapped him into a grease spot or speared him into a cheese wedge. But her curiosity got the best of her. She stared straight into the dish as Leo flipped the switch. Leo knew to look away. Even so, the blazing gleam of light left him seeing spots. Gah! The goddess staggered. She dropped her sphere, spear and clutched her eyes. I'm blind! I'm blind! Leo hit another button on his death ray. It collapsed back into a spear and sphere and began to hum. Leo counted silently to three, then tossed the sphere at the goddess's feet. Boom! Metal filaments shot upward, wrapping Nike in a bronze net. She wailed, flailing, falling sideways as the net constricted, forcing her two forms, Greek and Roman, into a quivering, out-of-focus hole. Trickery! Her voices, dub of boy, voices buzzed like muffled alarm clocks. Your death ray did not even kill me! I don't need to kill you, Leo said. I vanquished you just fine. I will simply change form, she cried. I will rip apart your silly net. I will destroy you. Yeah, see, you can't. Leo hoped he was right. That's high-quality celestial bronze netting. And I'm a son of Hephaestus. He's kind of an expert on catching goddesses and nets. No. No! Leo left her thrashing and cursing and went to check on his friends. First, he looked at Wright, just sword and bruised. Frank had propped Hazel up and was free defeating her ambrosia. The cut on her leg had stopped bleeding, though her jeans were pretty much ruined. I'm okay, she said. Just too much magic. You were awesome, Levesque. Leo did his best Hazel imitation. Popcorn! Our fatal weakness! She smiled wanely. Together, the four of them walked over to Nike, who was still writhing and flapping her wings in the net, like a golden chicken. What do we do with her? Percy asked. Take her aboard with the Ark of the Second, Leo said. Chuck her in one of the horse stalls. Hazel's eyes widened. You're going to keep the goddess of victory in the stable? Why not? Once we sort things out between Greeks and Romans, the gods should go back to their normal selves. Then we can free her and she can, you know, grant us victory. Grant you victory? The goddess cried. Never. You will suffer for this outrage. Your blood will be spilled. One of you here. One of you four is fated to die battling Gaia. Gaia. Leo's intestines tied themselves into a slipknot. How do you know that? I can foresee victories, Nike yelled. You will have no success without death. Release me and fight each other. It's better you die here than face what is to come. Hazel stuck the point of her spatha under Nike's chin. Explain. Her voice was harder than Leo had ever heard. Which one of us will die? And how do we stop it? child of Pluto. Your magic helped you cheat in this contest, but you cannot cheat destiny. One of you will die. One of you must die. No, Hazel insisted. There's another way. There's always another path. Hecate taught you this? Nike laughed. You would hope for the physician's curse, perhaps. But that is impossible. Too much stands in your way. The poison of Pylos, the chained guard's heartbeat of Sparta, the curse of Delos. 
No, you cannot cheat death. Frank knelt. He gathered up the net under Nike's chin and raised her face to his. What are you talking about? How do we find this cure? I will not help you, Nike growled. I curse you with my power. Net or no? She began to mutter in ancient Greek. Frank looked up, scowling. Can she really cast magic through this net? Heck if I know, Leo said. Frank let go of the goddess. He took off one of his shoes, peeled off his sock, and stuffed it into the goddess's mouth. Dude, Percy said. That is disgusting. I complained. Leo, Frank said grimly. You got duct tape? Never leave home without it. He fished a roll from his tool belt, and in no time, Frank had wrapped it around Nike's head, securing the gag in her mouth. Well, it's not a laurel wreath, Frank said, but but it's a new kind of victory circle. The gag of duct tape. Zang! Leo said, you got style. Nike thrashed and grunted until Percy nudged her with his toe. Hey, shut up! You behave or we'll get Arian back here and let him nibble your wings. He loves gold. Nike shrieked once, then became still and quiet. So, Hazel sounded a little nervous. We have one tied-up goddess. Now what? Frank folded his arms. We go looking for this physician's cure, whatever that is, because personally, I like cheating death. Leo grinned. Poison and Pylos? A changed god, changed, chained god heartbeat in Sparta? A curse in Delos? Hell yeah! This is gonna be fun! And that's the end of chapter 12. It's going to be, I think that, first of all, amazing chapters. And I think that these four, the situation that they were put in, it's, 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 it truly fits the quote of blessing in disguise. At first, it's obviously you're going against a goddess and it's going to be tough. But with these guys and their iffy relationships before, I feel like this fight truly was able to strengthen some of them, especially Percy and Leo. Now, I think that with Percy and Leo, they both had this conflicting, awkward moments because of Calypso, because Percy had visited Ojigia before Leo had. And now since, you know, Percy has moved on from Calypso and, you know, has stuck to Annabeth, it was a bit more easier for them to resolve it that way. And I think that that's what made their relationship stronger while also fighting Nike. So I think that these battles that go throughout these books are really important for us to look at because they show us how important these relationships are growing. Because if we remember correctly, Leo always felt like he was out of place. Nobody really liked him. But now he's slowly starting to become the, the, the person that he enjoys being. And I think that I'm really happy for him regarding that. Because he really, truly does deserve that. But yes, let us now move on to the Q&A session and shout-out session. Once again, I would like to give the disclaimers that if I do miss your question, I deeply apologize. Let, just do let me know in the, next, in the next episode, or this episode, I should rather say. And then additionally, 
sometimes I will not answer questions because I believe they might be a bit too personal for me to answer. So do not be hurt. I do not want anybody to stop giving questions because one, because I felt uncomfortable answering one of them because I feel even happy about the fact that you guys even thought about asking me questions. So feel free to ask them. I just don't want anyone feeling bad if I don't end up answering them. But you're free to ask more questions. Let's move on to the shout out session first. We have Firestar, Sophia Salmon Smith, Shadow Fighter number 144, Annie Chase, and Wasabi Not Very Hot Stuff. Thank you guys. Now let's move on to the QA session. So, our first one is favorite hobbies and pastimes. Um, I do enjoy reading. Uh, I do enjoy a little bit of drawing, a little bit of sketching. Um, I, I think that is very calming to do as, as a whole. Um, and, and playing the violin. The violin is very fun, so I do enjoy playing that. Uh, next question. Why do you think Uncle Rick threw Percy Be- Persebeth into Tartarus? <laughs> Uncle Rick. Um, I think it was a way... At surface level, it was a way to allude back to the fact when Percy wasn't able to save Annabeth from that fall off the cliff. And somehow Percy ended up finding Annabeth again as she was holding up the sky. That feeling of uncertainty and the fact that he lost. At that time, someone really close to him had hurt him. But since that time and now, they've both gotten really close. They're dating now. And they really, really do like each other. Maybe even throw love in there. So I think that that bond and that connection had gotten so strong, so much so much stronger, that it was a way that to test that love. And see how strong their connection was that they were able to survive Tartarus. Would they be able to survive Tartarus? So I think that that was a reason why. To test their connection. Uh, next question is, favorite thing about doing a podcast? I love analyzing. I think that it's so fun to analyze books that I re- truly enjoy do- reading. And then figuring out what is this alluding to? What is this foreshadowing to? And... It's really fun. I think I've done it so many times in school that I've now I've now been able to apply it now in in life and it's it's fun to do to be honest. Um next question, what aspect of Percy Jackson's journey do you personally relate to the most? I would probably the challenge the mental challenge that Percy and not just Percy, but the rest of the demigods the mental challenges that they face as they go through these quests, questioning themselves. Do they really want to be here? Why are they here? Why were they the ones being given this fate of constantly running and no break whatsoever? I think in moments like that, it can also allude to real life struggles as well. As you know, we live our day-to-day lives, there's sometimes there's moments in our lives where we're like, why... What is happening to me and why am I in this situation to begin with? Why is this such a difficult situation for me to be in? And it's it's annoying at first. So I think that those kind of moments are really, I think I can relate to. And I think a lot of us can relate to because it's it's applicable to real life. So seeing that happen as we get older and as I read these books, I think that that's one part of Percy's journey that I think that, that really applies to me. That really... I think that it really gives me that relatable experience that 
just because Percy's a demigod, he still has the same experiences as us people do. Next question is, which of the seven will defeat Gaia if one is able to? It will probably have to be... I'm not sure, actually. All of them are getting so much recognition now that they're all on a level, even level, even level playing field now. So it's really, I think it's, it's really not, I'm really not sure who it could be, actually. But we'll have to see. Next question is, if you had to do a mission in Tartarus, surviving there for a week and could only take two companions, who would you take? Um, probably Frank, just because of his shape-shifting abilities, being able to transport, very convenient. And the other one would probably be a child of Apollo. I can't bring up any names right now, but the reason I would bring child of Apollo is because he is the god of medicine. And I think that in a time like Tartarus, having that knowledge of medicine would probably help a ton. So I think Frank and a child of Apollo. Uh, next question is, if you could be any Titan except for Bob, who would it be? Hmm. I think I really like to be someone like Porphyrian or Polyboats. Because of their, of their gigantic size, it makes me wonder what exactly, what it is as a day-to-day life as them. You know, living so giant, and then what goes through their head? And what thought process do they end up with as they convince themselves every single day of what they're fighting for and who they're fighting for? So yeah, definitely Hyperion or Polyboats. Next question is, who would you bring back from all the people who sacrificed themselves and died for Percy and Annabeth? Bob. Easily Bob. Bob, Domison, Bob the small cat. Easily. Those, those titans, those heroic titans are just, they, they, you know, I think that that they are, they deserve an honor above anything else because of their sacrifice for Percy and Annabeth. And I think it's admirable, to say the very least. Uh, Next question is, most underlooked of the seven? I, simply because of perspective. Underlooked, I'm taking this as I don't get that much perspective on them. And I think that would be Nico. The reason is because we don't really see a lot of chapters in his perspective. And even if we are to, it's very rare at, at that point as well. So if we are to see potentially the next episode being from Nico's perspective, it still will give us a lot more context as to what his thinking process is because that's definitely going to be a very helpful tool to help us understand how Nico thinks as a whole. We know what the actions he does and how he acts and how he talks to people. But in terms of his thoughts, I think that's where we aren't really sure as to how far it can go. So yeah, that was the end of our Q&A session. Once again, if I missed your question, do please let me know in the next episode or this episode's comment section, and I will try my best to get to you next time. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.